I'm going to try to stay focused now because they gave me chocolate chip bacon cookies. Is that right? Did you say yuck? Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. I can hardly wait, but I will wait. I invite you to open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to take a look at what the Lord has for us as we come before him this morning. We find ourselves at the trial and the denial. As we look, would you join me together in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 57. Scripture says, And those who had laid hold of Jesus <laughs> led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. That Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus, to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest rose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you have said. But nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. And they spat on his face, and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who is striking you? Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. So he went out, and he wept bitterly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for an opportunity to study your word. We thank you and, and ask, Lord, that you would guide us through the scripture, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, that we would be willing to apply the word, the word of truth, that we would not be hard-hearted nor deaf to a story we have heard many times. And Lord, we ask that you would do your perfect work in and through us. And we seek to honor you in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We remember last time we were together, we saw the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, where Jesus aligned his will with the Father. He tried to prepare the hearts of his disciples for what was coming. We discovered that the disciples were heavy hearted and desiring to sleep. They they allowed the, the opportunity for prayer and preparation to pass. And while they were groggy and waking up, Jesus said, my betrayer is here. So they woke up of a sudden to see Judas walk over and and kiss Jesus. And the soldiers that are present, up to a thousand, arrest him, find him, and walk him away. The Bible tells that Peter about that time decided that he was willing to die for the Lord. Don't think that Peter didn't know what he was doing when he brought that sword out against a cohort of Roman soldiers. That's tantamount to pulling a gun in front of a bunch of cops. He pulled his sword and he swung. And his intent was to cleave a a servant of the high priest. His name was Malchus. His intent was to cleave him in two. But... He was sleepy. And Malchus moved. And so all he caught was his ear. Ripped it clean off his head though. Jesus reached over to Peter and he put his hand on him. And he said, put away your sword. For those who will live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus said, Peter, I don't need you to die for me. I need you to live for me. It's a struggle we still have today. Oh, what's the difference? Well, the difference is quite simple, especially for us in the United States. Nobody's trying to kill you. And we fool ourselves into thinking that we're ready to die for the Lord. Well, I could die for him. Peter, ready to die for the Lord. The last act, the last miracle of Jesus is hurt or or healing someone his disciples had hurt. Put the ear back on Malchus. What do you think Malchus's life was like the rest of his life? He went there to arrest him. He saw the healing power. He was eyewitness to the soldiers coming up to Jesus and Jesus saying, So who are you looking for? And the soldier said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says the the Greek phrase for the name of God. I go, I me. I am. And a cohort of 600 soldiers were blown back just from the words he spoke and sprawled onto the ground. And then they got up and he asked him again. Who are you looking for? Now, how do you think they answered him the second time? Uh, You. So how could they take him? Jesus let them take him. He could have spoke a word and they all would cease to exist, but he didn't. Because the scriptures tell us that he was born for this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was ready from the day that he began his earthly ministry 
for the time when he would face this final act of redemption. He was ready. He was ready to die. And he was ready to live. Peter was only ready to die. And when Jesus put his hand on his shoulder and said, put that away, and he couldn't use his own means, he couldn't use his own strength, he couldn't use his own power to deliver the one that he loved, Peter did what everybody did. He ran. And they bound him and took him. Where did they take him? Well, according to Jewish law, the court trial was to take place in the court of the temple in public they have the very similar laws to what we have today you would have your your uh, uh, defender there he would be there on your behalf to to help you give a defense for the charges you were to be charged and then you were to be gathered together at that place in public in a light of everyone so that all could see that the proceedings were done in a right way. But what time did they arrest Jesus? Sometime in the middle of the night. Did they take him to the temple? No. What does, what's the first verse tell us that we read? Verse 57. Let's look at it again. Verse 57 says, And they laid hold of Jesus and led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. It took him to Caiaphas' house. This morning I'm going to show you a few pictures. If you can pull up up the the screen, I'm going to take you real quick to the to the uh, Holy Land. Right now, the Holy Land, we're looking at the Kidron Valley, where those little trees are. That's the Kidron Valley, and the the hill where the the trees are. That's the Mount of Olives. In the next slide, you are now standing in the courtyard of Caiaphas's house. If you look to the left and a little further away, you see those same trees again. That's the Mount of Olives. From Caiaphas' house was dispatched a cohort of 600 Roman soldiers and all the high priest soldiers that were with him. And they walked down into the valley and up the other mountain in the middle of the night with torches. Remember I told you Jesus, while he stood in the Garden of Gethsemane, could see him coming? He could see him coming the whole way. When they discovered Caiaphas' house, they discovered something interesting. Every house there in the, in the Holy Land has uh, what we would term today, a, 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 well, they have a water cistern. It would be like a water tank. They didn't have underwater plumbing, at least not in most, most places. So they would have a cistern, and the cistern would gather all the rain, water, and all that stuff, and, and so it would hold in the cistern. But in Caiaphas' house, they found something interesting. As they went in and as they, they dug the area around his house, they discovered that his cisterns had all been emptied out. And they'd been connected by a series of tunnels. And hanging in those cisterns were iron rings bolted to the rock wall where they would put their prisoners where they would beat Christ and where they would beat the disciples same place Caiaphas' house in his dungeon 
If we take a look at the next slide, what you see is the steps leading to Caiaphas' house. Those stones right there are not stones like the stones. Those are the stones Jesus walked up when he was arrested. If you could see further down the picture, you would notice there's just a dirt path and the stones are missing. That's because they'd all been taken out of the ground and taken to Rome. In Rome, they're in a church of the stairs where pilgrims still go today to crawl on the stones that Jesus bled on as he was brought to the high priest. There's one of those stairs that they say has a stain that is the blood of Christ. And at that place still today, pilgrims bend over and kiss the stone. That stones can't do anything to save you, but the man who walked on them can. He was brought up those stones out of the Kidron Valley to Caiaphas' house. And the next slide shows you the hole they dropped them in. Down that hole into a cistern connected by a series of tunnels. Down in that place they had soldiers, the temple guard, who would take care of the temple prisoners. And it's down in that hole where Jesus is going to spend the second part of our section of scripture that we look at today. They took him to Caiaphas' house. They took him to Caiaphas' house and they bound him. Listen, John chapter 18 tells us in verse 12 that the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Hasn't been charged yet, but he's bound. And in verse 14 of John 18, it says, And they brought him to Caiaphas. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the sins of many. Caiaphas prophesying by the power of the Holy Spirit. Didn't mean to, but God spoke through him. Now Caiaphas is interesting. Annas... Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was his father-in-law. Annas was the real power behind the high priesthood. In the Old Testament, the high priesthood was designed to follow the lineage of Aaron. After the time of David, it would follow through the lineage of Aaron, following the line of Zadok. And the high priest was always of that family, and he served until he died, and then another high priest arose. But at the time of Rome... The Romans appointed a high priest. His name was Annas. Annas, in essence, was the godfather of Jerusalem. He owned all the stores, the places where people would sell their sacrifices or trade them in, where they would exchange money. You remember when Jesus came into the temple and the scripture tells us that he drove out the money changers? Well, Annas owned the money changers. He owned the places where the sacrifices were sold. He owned a lot of stuff. Rome became afraid of the power that he could wield as high priest with all this money that they had. So they deposed him. They said, you can't be the high priest anymore. But Annas still ruled. He ruled through six sons and one son-in-law. And the one son-in-law's name is Caiaphas. 
He's the power behind all the stuff going on in Jerusalem. He doesn't really care about God. He doesn't really care about the scriptures. He uses it to make himself rich. You ever heard of that before? Maybe you have. Maybe not. But that's what he was about. That's what he was doing. And that's where they brought him. Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas, who said that Jesus needs to die. They brought him. We see that in verse 57, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But look at verse 58. We see in verse 58, the position of Peter. Listen. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see how it would end. He followed at a distance. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but this is the position that he had. There is no easier position as a believer to follow Jesus from afar. Top secret believer, you know, nobody has to know. Nobody has to know. Sometimes we comfort ourselves with the concept that I can preach the gospel without using words. But Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. The word confess it means to confess with your mouth, to speak. To speak. Say who you are. He followed at a distance. And he sat down with the wrong crowd. The people who had arrested him. The servants who in a few moments are going to beat him. Those are the people that Peter sat down with. Trying to be inconspicuous. He doesn't really know what to do now. He doesn't know what to do because he was ready to die. And now he's in a place where he has to live. And he's given an example of how to do that. But but we're going to see in a moment he doesn't follow that. The point that we want to see is he was following at a distance. And if we want to be believers who are living a life of power and seeing the, the hand of God move and work in our life, we cannot follow him at a distance. Like Paul, we have to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus, for it is the power of God to salvation. Not ashamed. If we follow the If we follow the Lord at a distance, we are in a prime spot to deny him, just like Peter. We're not standing in a a place of strength. Maybe we're just following him and saying, oh, let's see how this works out. Let's see how this ends. That's exactly the same attitude that Peter has. Oh, let's see what's going to happen. I want to see what's going to go on before... I, I do say anything before I, before I put myself out there. So I want you to understand. Get the picture in your mind. Jesus is brought to the courtyard. Most of the stuff we're going to read is going to take place at the courtyard. As soon as we come to the point where the soldiers are playing games with them, that takes place in the pit. When they're done, just as the sun is beginning to dawn, after playing their game with him all night long, they're going to usher him out of that place. To take him to Pilate. Because they don't have the right to condemn him to death without Pilate's go-ahead. And when they do, 
Jesus is going to pass directly by Peter. Who's been there all night too. So as we look, we see Peter there. He's, he's in the place. We'll come back to him in a minute. And the scripture says in verse 59, Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. we got a lot of problems with this trial. We have a lot of problems with them. We're going to talk about several of them, but the first one being, and it's in direct violation of Jewish law, and that is the whole reason they arrested him was to kill him. Do you hear that? They arrested him to kill him. They didn't arrest him because he'd done something wrong. They didn't arrest him because he broke the law. They arrested him to kill him. According to Jewish law, if that was the case, the prisoner was to be immediately released. The goal, the purpose could not be to destroy. But that was their goal here. That was their goal here. They want to destroy him. The motive was to destroy him. Actually, in Luke chapter 22, before the arrest, it says, in Luke 22 verse 2, the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him. For they feared the people. They were looking for an opportunity to destroy Jesus. But but the scriptures have said back in Isaiah 53 that he would die. For the people, not for himself. Man's heart was to destroy him, but God's plan was to redeem the heart of man. So even while man is trying to destroy the work of God and obliterate the work of God, God, through his majesty, his power, his glory, is working to redeem man through his own hate. God's going to do a perfect work. God's going to do it. They wanted to destroy him. The next thing we see in this verse, listen, they accused him falsely, right? They lined up false witnesses. What does the scripture tell us? Listen, they sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. What's that mean? A lot of people came up to lie, but none of their stories lined up. And the high priest can't find anybody to to have the right kind of lie so that they can do what they want to do. But don't worry, the night was early, the sun wasn't up yet, so they're busy trying to figure out how they're going to accuse him. But they accuse him falsely. In the parallel passage in Mark chapter 14, this is what it says, For many bore false witness against him. Their testimonies did not agree. And some rose up, And bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. So we see that the the work of the false witnesses basically come up with one thing that, that they agree on. That Jesus at some point said, I will destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. There's just one small problem. Well, that's not what he said. John chapter 2, Jesus didn't say, I will destroy the temple. What did he say? You will destroy the temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. 
And then the scripture goes on to clarify for us, this he spoke concerning what? His body. He knew that they were going to kill him, and that was what he was talking about. But they couldn't even get those things straight. They sought false witnesses against him. But listen, all of that, all of that was part of God's redeeming plan. Those guys are just acting on the hate in their heart, on their desire for power and their desire for wealth. But God is using even that to work out a greater work of redemption so that those same men who are making those charges one day, 50 days later, gathered in that same place when a fellow stands up in front of him and says, This Jesus whom you crucified, He's the Christ, and He rose again. The Bible says they're going to be cut to the quick. And 3,000 will get saved. How many of them were false witnesses that were at the trial? God's working out a work of redemption. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been looking at this the last several weeks. You may be close to memorizing it by now. It says in, in verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you would follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who bore our sin in his body on a tree. So, Jesus doesn't respond to the lies because he's there to work out the work of redemption. They're there to try to kill God. That's nothing new, by the way. Nitschke didn't come up with the idea. It happened long before his big plan to to proclaim that God is dead. The reality is, men have been trying to kill God forever. I don't want to have to... To live under his guise. I don't want to have to follow his rules. I don't want to live for anything but for myself. And so man has been trying to do it forever. When the Lord came, it was easy. The man was going to kill him. Man was going to kill him. He always was. And so he did. But he starts to try to do it with all these lies. And all these lies are coming. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, Like a lamb is before the shears, So he opened not his mouth. He didn't fight back. Because in order to save, in order to provide an opportunity for those liars to have a relationship with God, he had to die. So he just committed himself into the hands of the Father and listened to what they had to say. And so they they brought these things. He was tried, the problems with the trial. They they wanted to destroy him. They accused him falsely. They arrested him without charging him. They did the trial at night. Trials were always supposed to be in the day, and you were always supposed to have defense. But there was no defense for Jesus. You were never allowed to execute a man on the same day that you gave his execution. The requirement of the law was that you would fast for three days and pray 
that some new information would come to light so that you wouldn't have to execute them. But that's not what they were about. That wasn't the purpose. That wasn't the plan. Their issue was not a, to, to do what was right. Their issue was not to find the truth. Their issue was none of those things. Their desire was to see him wiped out. Deuteronomy tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 19 that if a false witness lies concerning the testimony of someone who's being charged, then he should bear the penalty that would have gone upon the one who he charged. That means the liars, the false witnesses, should have been crucified because they brought false testimony. Nobody's denying it. It lays out that they couldn't find two liars who would lie the same way so they could bust him. So that they could finish the work. They couldn't find that. So finally, look what the priest does. The scripture goes on to tell us in verse 62. After all these things, the high priest arose and said, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? The scripture tells in the other gospels, Jesus said, I taught daily in the temple. Go ask the people I taught. They'll tell you. But none of the people he taught were there. This was a group of people who all worked for Annas and Caiaphas that want to see this matter resolved before anybody else gets up. They need to get him on the cross. They need to get him on the cross because that's where he was born to be. So that he could become sin. So that we could become the righteousness of God. The heart of man was to destroy him. So the high priest said to him, the high priest arose and said, uh, verse 63, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You know, there's a... The same concept that we have in our, in our legal system that you cannot be forced to incriminate yourself is in the legal system of the Jews, even at this time. The high priest finally says, I can't get a false witness to tell the right kind of lie. So I will put you under oath to the living God. You tell me, are you the Christ, the Son of God? Now I want you to listen. This is the, the reason that they will crucify him. His answer to this question. 2,000 years later, people still argue about whether or not Jesus said this. So let's not argue about it. They said, are you the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the anointed one promised of in the scripture? And are you the Son of God? That phrase, the Son of God, means do you have within your person the character, the deity of God? Are you God in the flesh? And are you the Messiah? That's the question. That's the charge that is brought. Under penalty, under oath to the living God, you tell me. So Jesus said, it is as you say. He said, in essence, yeah, you said it. I am the Christ, the Son of God. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there because he goes on to say, Nevertheless, I say to you. Now he's talking to Caiaphas. I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's saying to Caiaphas, You're my judge now. 
but one day, I'm going to be yours. Right now, Caiaphas, you sit in the seat of power. But you will see a day when the Son of Man sits at the right hand of power, where all judgment has been committed to the Son. In John chapter 5, all judgment given to Him. You'll see me, and I'll judge you for what you're going to do in this place. Clear declaration of who He is. A clear declaration of of. of of the fact that he is Messiah, that he is the Son of God, so the high priest tears his clothes. According to the Bible, there's only one way, one way a high priest could ever tear his clothes. That was blasphemy. Blasphemy, which is the charge. He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you've heard his blasphemy. The high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? He knows what he's going to answer. Has Jesus never said these things before? If you, if you don't think so, John chapter 8, he says the same thing to the same people. John chapter 10, he did it again. Throughout his ministry, they would say to him, Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And, and if I was there, I'd be rolling my eyes. Because I keep telling you the same thing, but you're not hearing me. But on this day, they ask him, just say it one more time. Just say it one more time. And he said, it is as you say. And I will sit at the right hand of power and judge you. That's all Caiaphas needs. Tears his cloak, charges him with, with blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and they all shouted, He is deserving of death. So his trial is over. It's finished. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is listing all the curses. All the possible curses that there could be. And the worst curse of them all is this. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. It's interesting because in Galatians chapter 3, Paul applies that phrase to Jesus Christ. That he became a curse for us. He became sin. Who knew no sin? That he went there willingly. The same guy who just said the words, I am, and everybody fell down. They arrested. The same guy who could have gave a defense for himself at any time, but gave no defense as a lamb before his shears was silent. He was silent because he's headed to the cross. Because he's going to die for the people who are killing him. And before we look too hard on them, my sin was there that day too. Every one of the sins I'll ever commit was there that day. When he became sin, part of it was mine. Part of it was ours. For every man and woman to ever live, that sin, he became. He became that curse. He died. Once they had that settled, the priests, they're stoked. So they start making their plans for how we're going to get them over to Pilate and how we're going to work all this stuff out so that we can finish the death. So they turn them over to the soldiers. And the soldiers take them down to that pit. And they put them in chains. Scriptures tell us that they put a bag over his head. And they began to play. Is that so shocking? 
I mean, don't we see the same things in, in situations where our, our own military has, has been placed somewhere and all of a sudden they're doing these strange things? Why do you guys do that? They're so angry about where they are or why they're there or what these people have done or what they're accused of doing or whatever the case is. And all of a sudden you start seeing pictures and things come to light and you think, what are you doing? Why would you do that? It's always been in the heart of man. They turned them over to the soldiers. 600 Romans, they're bored. The high priest guard. So they're going to play a game. Look what the scripture tells us. So they spat in his face. And they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands. And that word that's translated palms could also be rods. Well it may be that they're smacking them with the palms of their hands. Or it may be that they're hitting them with rods. Whatever the case, later on it's going to be rods wholly and, and completely. They're, they're hitting him with the, with the <clears throat> palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us Christ. You see, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was to come to die for the sins of the people. And so they put a bag over his head saying, okay, if you're God, they put a bag over his head and maybe they grabbed the rod. The rod would be three to, to, to four foot long, just, just like the, the, the switches. Mom used to make you go pick out the backyard, only bigger around. And they take that rod, and they smack him in the head. And they say, prophesy! Who hit you? And Jesus wouldn't say a word. And another one would come up and smack him across the head with his hand prophesy Christ you say you're God who hit you he didn't open his mouth but I promise you in his mind he was saying well that was Thomas that's Daniel I can even tell you how many hairs are on your head and how much that hurt your hand when you hit me he knew it all. But in fulfillment of the scriptures, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth so that he could take the full brunt of, of what man was offering him. So they put a bag over his head down in a pit and they played this game with him until it began to be dawn. And while they were playing that game, we come back to our buddy Peter. Peter is just in the courtyard up above it. He can hear it. He can hear the sound of the thuds. He's sitting in that place. Wondering what does all these things mean. It says in verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him saying... You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to him, or said to those who were there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it and said with an oath, No, no, I swear. I don't know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, 
Surely your speech betrays you. You got a southern accent. We know you're from Texas. Someplace like that. As long as it's not Arkansas, I suppose it's okay. They could tell by the way he talked. What he said. We know who you are. Listen. There are three problems that led Peter to this point. And, and we're going we're gonna to close out with those concepts. Those three things. The first one we already talked about. He followed a far off. Nobody knows who he is. He follows a far off pretending that he's just another guy. Who just happens to be hanging out where they're beating Jesus in the middle of the night. He follows a far off. In John chapter 18 verse 15. In the, in the parallel passage. Listen to what it says. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Do you know who that was? His name's John. Now, the disciple was known to the high priest. Oh, well, maybe I'll give you the background of that. The, the sons of Zebedee had a big fish market. Zebedee's fish market was a big business. You know who one of their number one buyers was? The bazaars of Annas. Former high priest, the father-in-law to Caiaphas. They'd buy fish from the sons of Zebedee. So John, he's, he's headed, he's following. He's headed in and he knows he can get into the courtyard because he knows the high priest. He sold him fish. He sold him fish before. He was known to the high priest, it says. But Peter stood at the door outside. Peter didn't follow him in. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And when they walked in, he's following John. She said, are you also a disciple of Jesus? Perfect time. All you got to do is step up and say, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed yes John's already there he's not hiding that he's a disciple but Peter denies for the first time and John continues on maybe even speaks on Jesus behalf in the middle of the proceeding we don't know he goes into where the stuff's going on with the high priest and Peter stays back he followed at a distance he didn't draw near when he should have drew near the second thing he did he fellowship with the wrong people in John 18 18 it says now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself the servants of the high priest I don't want you to lose sight of that those are the people who just arrested Jesus. Now think about what happened when they arrested him. They come and get Jesus. The I am happens. Everybody falls down. They get back up. They, they arrest him. Peter pulls out a sword. And it's this little thing about chopping a guy's ear off. It, it kind of draws attention to you when there's a bunch of Roman soldiers around. Now Peter is standing around a fire with the same servants who arrested Christ. And they're looking at him like, something familiar about you. Yeah, 
put a sword in his hand and it all come together. Oh yeah, you're that guy. They're looking at him and they're saying, weren't you with him? Weren't you there? He fellowshiped with the wrong people. He's hanging out in a place where he ought not to be. The scripture declares to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The relationships that we have with unbelievers, always a, a, a tricky subject. I have people tell me all the time, well, unfortunately, they, they tend to fall in love with them. Uh, well, they're not a believer, and I, and I fell in love with them, but, uh, you know, God can change them. Yeah, God can change them. He can. But you better read the verses that talk about it, because life is going to be real ugly until that happens. There's one relationship we're to have with unbelievers. That is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. One. I live in the world, but I'm not of the world. And I'll do what I got to do in the world to be in the world. But when I choose to hang out, I do not hang out with unbelievers. Why would I? How's that going to strengthen my walk? Well, you know, Jackie, I was doing so good, and I just decided to hang out with these guys, and, and they decided that it would be a good idea to start drinking, and then, so, so, so I, I didn't want to, you know, look high and mighty to them, so I drank with them, and then, then one thing led to another, we decided to drive someplace, and, and well, basically, I'm in jail right now, I, I got a DUI, I uh, shouldn't have been driving, what are you doing? Draw the line, who are you? Believer or not? If you're a believer, then reach out to the ones who are your friends and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Don't be a secret admirer from a distance. And don't warm yourself by the enemy's fire because you're just putting yourself in a position where God, where you're going to choose the world. You're going to do a Peter. They're going to come to you and say, hey, I thought you went to church. Yeah, you know, but I'm not really that religious. I, I go occasionally. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will commit, confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. Choose the side. Choose a side. You can't stay in the middle. You can't stand. You can't not be a part of it. He fellowshiped with the wrong people. And finally, he failed to identify himself as a believer three times. The first one we see this servant girl in verse 69. Oh, you were there. No, he denied it before them all. I, I do not know what you're saying. And a little bit later, he's wandering around by the gate. And another girl saw him there and said, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Well, <clears throat> he immediately responds, he denied with an oath. No, no, I swear it's not me. I don't know him. I swear. Because unless you say those words, I swear, you're not really telling the truth, right? Remember when you were a kid? Are you telling me the truth? I swear on a stack of Bibles. What does that mean? If you're not swearing on a stack of Bibles, you're lying? Oh, I swear, I don't know him. I swear. 
swear I don't know him. And then a little while later, by those who stood by, those who stood by, we see in verse 73, a little while later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are one of them, your speech betrays you. But listen, I want you to understand that last time, listen, go to John chapter 18, verse 26, but because it, it tells us exactly who's talking to him. They're starting to put it together. You look familiar. And John 18, verse 26, it says, One of the servants of the high priest, listen, a relative of the guy who Peter cut off his ear, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Now, if you were going to go arrest Jesus, and you're hanging out with your relative, Malchus, you're standing there beside him. I don't know, that face might be emblazoned in your memory of the dude who came whacking at you with a sword. Hollering. Rah! The blood spurting. Be, be something that would... This is the guy who says, Didn't I see you there? Weren't you the dude holding the sword? You look a lot like him. Big, burly guy, bushy beard. Got that fisherman look on you. Yeah, you look like him. So this is the point. This is the point when it says that Peter, in verse 74, began to curse and swear and say, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. What does that signify? We're getting close to dawn. Uh, dawn, we got to have Jesus before Pilate. So he's not in the pit anymore. He's not in the pit. They're bringing him out. It says in Luke chapter 22 that the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. At that moment, while he's saying the words, Jesus has been brought out of the pit. He's been beaten with a... With a a bag over his head. Isaiah 53 says, He was bruised for our iniquity. You know what that word bruised means? He was beaten up. For us. He didn't open his mouth because he's got to pay the price for every sin ever sinned. He's got to take the full brunt of what anybody can offer. So he took it all. And as they bring him out of that place and as they walk him by... Peter just said, cursing, I don't know him. And right then a rooster crows and as he looks toward the sound, there's Jesus. Now, what did he see in his eyes? There's two things that Peter did. The first thing he did is he remembered the word. One of the first things that happens in a believer when they're stumbling and falling is the neglect of the word. He remembered the word that Jesus spoke. <clears throat> the word of God is the primary way in which God is going to speak into your life. If we neglect the word of God, we are not remembering what Jesus has said. Right then, at that moment, he remembered. It came back to him. And he looked in the eyes of a Savior, eyes that were already swelling shut. 
a face that was already bloody before he ever got to the Romans. He hadn't even got there yet. Who for the last few hours has been beaten by soldiers. First he remembered. And then he went and wept bitterly. That that phrase, so much picture in that phrase. If you want to take a, a literal picture of that phrase, wept bitterly, he's choking on his tears. He can't breathe. He can't think. He can't do nothing. He's just he's just broken. Crushed. Broken and crushed in a place where... Do you think the words came back to his ears? Even if all of these deny you, I'll never deny you. I'm ready to die with you, he said. Are you ready to live for me? Dying's easy. Are you ready to live for me? Are you ready to stand up and be counted as one of mine? Are you ready to say, I belong to the God Most High. I put my trust in Him. I live my life according to His Word. What it says, that's how I walk. How He calls, that's what I do. Are you ready to let the lines be drawn? As if you're not. And you're following from afar, fellowshipping with the wrong people, afraid to let anyone know who you are in Christ. He went and wept bitterly, but the scriptures declare to us that the Lord draws near to those with a broken heart. Well, I can't just leave you here. We've got to go to John 21. So flip over to John chapter 21 and we'll find out what happens. Lowest point of Peter's life. Later on we're going to see Jesus resurrected on the third day. And Jesus is going to give a specific message. He's going to say to the women, go tell my disciples and Peter. You know what that simple phrase means? It means Peter no longer considered himself a disciple. Otherwise, he'd have just said, go tell my disciples. So he said, go tell my disciples and Peter. So Peter quit. He was done. How do you come back from that? John chapter 21, all the disciples after the resurrection, Jesus is there, but what's Peter going to do? What can I do for the kingdom of God? I'm a denier. So he said, I'm going fishing. I felt that way a time or two. I'm going fishing. So a couple of the guys say, I'll go with you. So they all go out fishing. They fish all night. They don't catch anything. They don't catch anything. They they come back and they see a fellow on the beach. And the guy on the beach says, you caught anything? And for the first time, a fisherman told the truth. Nope. Nothing. So the guy on the shore said, throw your nets on the other side. So they throw their nets on the other side and catch 153 fish. 153 fish, numerical value of the Hebrew letters that make up the name God. 
course, it might just be 153 fish. But Peter goes, that's the Lord. So they get over to Jesus, and he's already got breakfast waiting for him. He's already cooked fish. He's already got it there. And after they ate, after they ate, look what it says, John 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Remember the boast? Even if they all mess up, I'll never do it. So Simon, you really love me more than these? Peter, you really love me more than these? Peter's on the spot. So he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, feed my lambs. Well, this is one of them times when the Greek really comes in handy. Jesus said, Peter, do you agapeo me? Peter, do you love me with a self-sacrificing love that gives only to give and doesn't care about what it receives? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter said, Lord, you know I am your friend. He couldn't respond with the same word. He already failed the Lord. But the Lord said to him, then feed my lambs. He gave him a job. He said, Peter... I still have need of you. Peter, I still have an opportunity for you. Even though you can't love me, you don't say the same word I say. Even though you feel like you don't measure up anymore, I need you. I need you to feed my lambs. Take care of the little ones. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agapeo me? And he responded and said to him a second time, you know that I love you. So he said to him, tend my sheep. He said again, do you agapeo me? No, Lord, you know, you know that I'm your friend. I phileo. I can't love like that. I, I messed up. I, I, I said I could do it. I thought I could do it, but I couldn't do it. And the Lord gave him another job. Tend my sheep. Watch over them. And the third time Jesus said to him, Peter, do you phileo? And Peter was grieved in his heart because the third time he came down to his level. Peter, are you my friend? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I'm your friend. And he gave him a job. 50 days later, Peter's going to deliver a message. 3,000 people will be saved. A few days after that, he'll give another message. 5,000 people will get saved. The Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, and Annas, they'll arrest him. Put him in the same pit Jesus was in while he was denying him. And beat him and tell him, don't speak in the name of Jesus again. And Peter's going to walk out with blood still on his back. Walk to the temple and preach the name of Christ. What was the difference? The love of Jesus restored him. And the Spirit of God empowered him. And it's the same for us. Maybe some of us are deniers. The love of Christ restores us and the spirit of God empowers us to follow closely 
and allow God to work his perfect work in our life. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the truth of your word and for what your word declares as we come to the first part of the trial and the denial. God, I pray that we would just recognize that that the whole event, all of it, was orchestrated by you before the foundation of the world. This is how I will save man from his sin. Every man is born a sinner. There's none good, no, not one, your word declares. None. But God took the iniquity of everyone upon himself at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin. He became the curse. And he died to remove the handwriting of requirements that was written against us. He nailed it to the cross. He did the work so that we so that we could be renewed by his love, empowered by his spirit, drawn into a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of all things. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would choose, that we would make a decision that says, I I am going to be part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am a believer. And I don't care if you like it or not. I am choosing to stand by my Savior. I will not, in the time that he is beaten, deny the one who gave everything for me, who gave his face to those who plucked his beard, to the one who was beat by the fists of man, to the one that bore it all upon his back. I love you, Lord. And if I'm not going to deny you, I got to be close. I got to be close. May we choose to be close to you. And if we're not close, today is the day. It's no other time. Put your trust in Jesus today. Make him your Lord and Savior. Renew your commitment to him. And become part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Filled with Holy Spirit power. Restored by the love of God. And ready to be who he wants us to be. Let's be ready. And we give you... All the praise for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. And as we do, we have prayer counselors around the room. And if you'd like to rededicate yourself or you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to find one of them. If the Lord spoke to you and there's some issues going on and you need prayer, I encourage you to find them. Find someone and pray with them. Be encouraged. 
This is God's desire for us. That he might move and work in our lives in an amazing way. So as we sing, I invite you to go and pray. And allow God to do that perfect work.